We are in week number 14 of our series, if you can believe it. We're almost all the way done here. This week's lesson is called Christ Prayer in Gethsemane and Why It Matters. Why It Matters for us as a youth group here. Last week, again, we looked at the disciples and how they didn't respond well to temptation. We're going to look at Jesus and how he responded well to temptation. But first, I have a question for you guys. I have a question for you guys. Have you ever prayed diligently and fervently for something... But God said no. He answered no to your prayer request. Maybe you prayed for the salvation of a loved one, and that person never came to Christ. Never did. Or you prayed that God would heal somebody supernaturally who was sick, and he never did. Maybe you prayed for a good grade on a test that you studied really, really hard for, and you didn't do so well, even though you had prepared. God said no, in one sense. Because Jesus is about to get a no from his heavenly Father. And nobody ever prayed more fervently or more diligently than did the Son of God. So how much more should we pray? So let's get the text back in front of us, same exact text we were looking at last week. Jesus in Gethsemane from Matthew chapter 26. Let's look at it together. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, namely James and John, Peter, James, and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42. He went away a second time, and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing as he just said there. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man, Jesus himself, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayers. Here comes my betrayers. I've got seven comments on this. We had seven last week. We got seven this week about this text and how it relates to us. Let's work through them one by one. Number one, was Jesus an unbeliever? Was Jesus an unbeliever? Here's why I asked that. It says, verse 37, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. You ever been there? You ever been depressed? Been sorrowful, in trouble? Your soul is in turmoil? You ever been there? Because Jesus was. Then he said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, many of you might ask, Well, of course he's going to be sorrowful. Of course he's going to be troubled. He's about to be hung on a tree tomorrow morning. You would be sorrowful and you would be troubled too, probably. As would I. But the reason that I ask, was Jesus an unbeliever? Interesting question. Was because literally just a few moments before this text was written, this verse was written. This is Jesus talking here. He says to his disciples at the Last Supper, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your soul be in turmoil. Don't be depressed. 
Now, what is Jesus saying there? Is he a walking contradiction? Is he an unbeliever, you think? No, he's not. Now, why do you think he's not an unbeliever? Well, I think there's a verse that helps us understand this from Philippians. It says this. Don't be anxious about anything, you guys. This is for you in this room tonight. Don't be anxious about your test tomorrow, or your game next weekend, or your concert, recital, if your family's ever going to get back together again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by what? Prayer. Prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. He says, how you counter anxiety is through prayer. How you encounter doubt, how you counter doubt is through petition and asking God for help and wrestling with him in that moment. Here's the thing, y'all. If Jesus had not prayed and wrestled with God in that moment, he would have been an unbeliever. But he didn't quit on God. He kept praying. He kept trusting in God. If he was an unbeliever, he would just lay down and quit and die. Even though his heart was sorrowful and troubled even unto death, he didn't quit on God. And that's why he was a believer. And when we don't pray, when we don't rely on God in our times of trial, we act like unbelievers. Act like the believer that you are. And wrestle with God in your times of trial, just like Jesus did. Don't give up on him. He has not given up on you, as we'll see here in a second. Number two, y'all. Desperate times call for desperate postures. Desperate times call for desperate postures. Where do I get that? Verse 39. Going a little farther, remember Jesus lays his nine disciples here. He's got his three right here. And then Jesus goes a little further to be able to do what he's doing right now. Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. He got prostrate like this. He said, God, I need you. God, I need your help. I need your intervention. I'm going to give in to temptation if you don't help me right now. And he gets down on his face to the ground and he prays, okay? Now, we talked about a couple weeks ago, y'all, about how God can hear you whenever you pray. You could be in school. You could be saying a flash prayer when you're walking to class or whatever. God always hears you. But sometimes, when your internal disposition is so distraught that your external position should reflect that. And what I mean by that is sometimes you're so messed up and you're so sad and you're so depressed that you will literally get on the ground and cry out to God as a reflection of how you feel internally. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to ask you tonight, when was the last time you got on the ground and prayed? Because you were so desperate for deliverance. As I said earlier, it's not wrong to pray when you're walking to class and whatnot. But when have you been so desperate that the ground cried out to you? And you got down and you prayed to God and cried out to him. It's not wrong to pray on the ground. The Son of God did. Number three, prayers are requests. Prayers are requests. Requests are a mail letter that you put in God's mailbox, if you will. Prayers are requests, and Jesus knows this. Just because he prays a prayer doesn't make it magic. doesn't mean it's just going to automatically happen. He knows that when he prays, God can say yes, and God can say no. Just like when you make a request to your mother or your dad or your teacher or whatever, you make that request, and the answer can come back, yay or nay. And Jesus knows this. Verse 39, he falls on his face and he prays, my father, my father. Now, we as children of God must notice this. We can call God father too. We can call God our father as well. God is our father. We are his children through faith in his son. 
And this was radical back then. Jesus got killed for saying stuff like this. If you say God is your father, that's basically condemning yourself to death. He says, my father, and we get to claim that truth as well. My father, if it is possible, if it's possible, he's making that request, if then, if it's possible, then you can deliver me from the situation. And he knows God is ultimately in control and can deliver him, and he's asking him to do so. But he's not saying, God, you'll deliver me. It's going to happen. I'm going to speak it into existence. Talk about that message a couple months ago. God is the one whose will will never be thwarted. If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now notice this here. Present your request to God. Philippians 4, 6. That's what a prayer is. Present it. Say, God, this is yours. I'm humbly going to accept the answer, whether it's yes or no. When I pray for the salvation of my friend, yes or no, God. When I pray for the health of my loved one, yes or no, God. But I acknowledge that you're the one that's ultimately in control, God. So, number four. What was in the cup? What was in the cup? Or what was the cup? Because verse 39 says this. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, is he talking about a literal cup here? No. No, he's not. He is not talking about a literal cup. God did not hand him a literal cup to drink from. But the cup is a symbol of something. That's what a symbol is from English class. Something that stands for something. May this cup be taken from me. Now, what was in this cup? That Jesus so badly cried out to God to be delivered from so he wouldn't have to drink a single ounce of it, if you will. What was in that cup? And the answer is the wrath of Almighty God against sin was in that cup. The wrath of God against your sin against my sin, was about to be poured out down Jesus' throat, if you will. And he was about to drink it to the dregs. Why? So that we didn't have to drink a single ounce of it. Because Jesus did. Praise be to God we didn't have to drink that cup. And praise be to God that there is no wrath for those who are in Christ and love Christ. Because Jesus suffered all of it for us. And the good news is this. It says, that cup, y'all, that goblet of my wrath, you will never drink from again, the Bible promises us. You don't have to drink from the cup of God's wrath, Isaiah 51, 15 says. Because he drank every last ounce of God's wrath. And he took our place on that cross, did he not? He took God's wrath, he swallowed it. He did not want to initially. But he submitted his will to God, which jumps into our fifth point. Jesus surrendered his will for his Father's will. Jesus surrendered his will for his Father's will. Now, what a will is, it's a way that you would like to do life. When you say, I submit my way of life to you, God, and I don't want my way of life, I want your way for my life, that's what it means to give your will to God. We all have a will, right? But not all of our wills are completely submitted to God. And that's why we need his help to submit our will to God. We choose God's ways over my ways. And Jesus chose God's ways, his Father's ways, over his own fleshly ways, did he not? He did. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will, Father. He loved God and his ways more than Jesus wanted to get out of this situation. His will was greater than 
Jesus' will in that moment. And Jesus even says this in John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, I would starve to death if I did not do the will of the Father. That would be like literal starvation for him. Jesus would be starving if he did not hang on that cross for the sins of his people. My food and my drink, if you will. He's literally about to drink the wrath of God. My food and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what it looks like to finish his work? His father's work? It means to die and to rise again. That was Jesus' food and his drink. Us as believers in this room tonight should love God's will so much that we just want to swallow it, digest it, embrace it, and do it more than our own selfish wills. C.S. Lewis says this about the will. He says, there are two types of people in this world, y'all. You're in one of these camps tonight. There are two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, your will be done. You know that prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those are the people who say, those your, uh, they say, your will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, you will be done. You see the difference between those two? One person is submitting to God, he wants to do the things of God, and loves God, and then at the end of the day, on Judgment Day, there are some people whom God will say, you didn't love me. You don't want to do my will. Get away from me. Get out of my presence, because you did not want to do my will. It was not your food. It was not your drink whatsoever. So I pray that we're in this first camp. People who submit their own will to God and say, your will be done in my life. It's more satisfying. It brings me more joy. And it brings, me, brings you more glory, Father. Let's not be in this camp. When we do our own will, we follow our own selfish desires and care less about the desires of the Father, so much so that on Judgment Day, it says, you will be done. Get away from you, evil. Like Matthew chapter 7 says. Number six. Persistent prayer loosens your grip on your own will. It loosens your grip on your own will. Because we all have a will in this room. And it's all selfish apart from God's grace. God has to change our will to make it his own. When he changes our will, then we start to loosen the grip up on it a little bit. And we see this in Jesus' prayer, do we not? We're going to look at it here right now. Verse 39. This is what Jesus is praying. <clears throat> My Father, if it is possible, notice the wording here. The wording is so key. We must focus in on these words. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Goes back to the disciples, finds them sleeping, chastises them, and goes back to the second prayer here. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, notice something, if it is not possible, did you see that change in verbiage? Jesus' will and his desires are being submitted to the Father. It's no longer, God, if, if it's possible, it's God, if it's, if, okay, God, if it's not possible and I have to do this, then I'm going to do it. My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He didn't even talk about drinking it in the first prayer, did he? 
He's ready to drink it now. Because he had persistently prayed and was on his face asking for divine help. And now he wants to do the will of his father. Because he was persistent in his prayers, right? The book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It says, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Now the first question about that test we got to ask is, well, was Jesus disobedient before? <laughs> no, he wasn't. But Jesus had to prove his obedience and to show his obedience and to show that he is worthy of being worshipped because he had to pass tests to be able to show that he is a worthy savior to be loved and cherished and embraced. He had to pass tests. He is worthy of worship because he passed the test that we couldn't pass on our own. Jesus did. He drank that cup full strength. He learned obedience. He passed the test. Why? Because he suffered. And he continued to endure in his prayer life. Finally, number seven, y'all. Don't quit praying, guys. Even if everyone else has quit on you. Don't quit praying even if everybody else in your life, close to you or not, has quit on you. Verse 43. He goes back after he prays his prayer and he's in the war of his life. Needs his disciples in this moment. They asleep. They out like a light, slept through the flight. Verse 43. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he went and took a nap with them. So he went and ate a sandwich and said, God, my will is better than yours. He responds the exact opposite way. This is how we should respond in adversity as well. So he left them and went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same things. Jesus knows, even if my best friends have left me and forsaken me, God never will. He's the one person that I can always go to. People are not omnipresent, if you've heard that word. They can't be everywhere at once. We are fleshy people limited by time and space. God ain't. <laughs> God's with him in the garden, even if his best friends ain't. So if your friends leave you and desert you, just know that God hasn't. And he never will. And he's worthy to be prayed to. Because he's always there for you. The Bible says this in Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Even when your friends and your closest peers are joyless, impatient, Faithless in prayer, you don't. You don't. You stay joyful. You stay patient. You stay faithful. And God sees you. God sees you. And he will bless you and honor you for your faith. Now, why does this matter to us? I have one closing application for us right now. This is probably a separate lesson, but I included it in this one. Because that would be 19 weeks. I have one closing application for us here. When, y'all, do you stop praying for something? When do you stop praying for something? Because Jesus did. Jesus did not say a fourth prayer, did he? He went to that cross the next day, didn't he? He did. So when do you stop praying for something, y'all? And here's my answer to this. We're going to look at it in Jesus. We're going to look at three questions I'm about to ask you here briefly. You stop praying for something, y'all, when there are clear indicators that God wishes for you to move on. When there are clear indicators that God wishes for you to move on. 
Now, I know that's tough, and I know that's subjective, and every situation is different. You're like, what's clear, and what's an indicator, and whatnot? But you got to discern that and decide that for yourself. What's clear, what's an indicator, and when does God wish for me to move on? I've got a couple examples from y'all, and this is going to take some crowd participation here. I got three questions that I want to ask. Do you keep praying for this when this happens in your life? You can respond yay or nay. Number one, should you keep praying when your boo thing that you've been praying to like you gets married? Should you keep praying for that? No, you should not keep praying for that. You can say it confidently. When your boo thing's with another person and married, you don't violate that. God's will is for people to stay married. That's clear. That's an indicator. You should stop praying. God wishes for you to move on. He's got somebody else for you in your life. You will be fulfilled in that person. All right? Number two. Lord willing, God forbid, you keep praying when a family member passes away. Yes. When a family member passes away and you've been praying for their health. No. No. You don't. When King David's son died in the Old Testament, he said, I will only see my son in glory. In the next life, I will see my son. And God's will was for him to no longer be alive. Okay? We don't keep praying for something like that. That's a clear indicator that God wishes for us to move on and trust him that he knows what's best for us and for the other people involved. Finally, number three. Do you keep praying when a family member is diagnosed with a serious illness? Yes. yes. How do you know that? Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't? My bad. Because, you know what? All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. He can heal whoever he wants. Wait, what? Pray. Even when circumstances look dire, you keep praying. You stay faithful. Okay? There are situations in my life that aren't dead and gone yet, so to speak, that I'm praying for. Until I see a clear indicator to move on, I'm going to keep wrestling with God in prayer over that. And I know each and every single person in this room tonight has something like that where God is calling you into a wrestling match with him. Don't neglect that wrestling match. Even if he doesn't respond affirmatively, affirmatively, the blessing is in the wrestling, is it not? God will bless you for praying without ceasing. The Bible also says this, final scripture. What he opens, talking about God here, what he opens, nobody can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. No matter how hard you pray, you can't open what is shut. But no matter how hard someone prays against something that God has said, yes, I'm going to do it, nothing can thwart that one. What God says goes. We can take confidence in that when God answers our prayers affirmatively or negatively. And he knows best. And what he shuts is good for us. And what he opens is good for us as well. And look, in Jesus' life here, final verse here, Jesus gets up, he says, look, the hour has come, verse 45, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Jesus, think about this. He's been praying for all this time. And now he gets up and he literally sees people who are going to take him captive coming at him up the hill. With their torches, whatever weapons they got on him at that time. He sees those people coming at him. The hour has come. I'm about to be delivered. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus had received a clear indicator. That God responded, no. It is prayer. 
You must go through the cross, Jesus. There is no other way. It must happen this way. And Jesus carried out the will of the Father. So, in conclusion, number one, Jesus was not an unbeliever, was he? No, he fought anxiety with prayer, soul-troubling distress with prayer. Number two, desperate times call for desperate postures. Get on your face and cry out to God if you have to. Number three, prayers are requests. Faith is not magic. It's not hocus-pocus. But God does hear our prayers, and he does move in and through them. So pray without ceasing. Number four, the cup that Jesus drank was filled with the wrath of God against our sin. And Jesus drank it down to the very dregs. Number five, Jesus surrendered his will for his Father's will, as should we. Number six, persistent prayer loosens your grip on your will so that you can surrender it to God and your will becomes his will. And number seven, don't quit praying even if everyone has quit on you. But 7a, <laughs> do quit praying when there are clear indicators that God wishes for you to move on. Let's pray again. Father, oh, I thank you so much for today and for Jesus and his example and how he is a worthy Savior to love and to serve because he passed the test. He drank the cup of your wrath that we should have drunk wholesale. Jesus drank it in our stead, in our place. He did that for us so that he could save the people for himself to worship and to serve you. We love you, Father. May we wrestle well like Jesus did in the garden. Pour out your spirit on our small groups now, we pray. It's your son's precious name that we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.